What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you to. Every football environment is different, right? Players are different, the pitch is different, the coaching staff is different, their cycle on how they like to prepare players is different. What we aspire to do is to allow every client a chance to validate whether this works or not in their environment. It's not just about, hey, read this case study from a team somewhere else, and hopefully you like it. This is the What The Footy podcast. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. Download, subscribe, rate and review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that Imagine extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now nice putting <laughs> awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Team. Let's just win this to appease the fans. How you doing today, Tal? Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, man. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, actually recovering from uh, a bit of COVID, but so far it looks like a uh, a steady recovery. No, I mean, that's good to hear. Good to hear that you're feeling well. And um, yeah, we start off the show with this question, which is what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? <laughs> wow. Um, and so for me growing up, uh, it's a sport. Absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up, my earliest memory in football is the 1986 World Cup final. Actually, the semifinals, then the finals. So that's what I remember as a six-year-old kid staring at the TV. Um, I never thought I'd end up in a football-related business. Um, you know, it's something that happened to me relatively late in life. Um, and so I'm, I'm just enjoying the ride. I've, uh, I'm discovering how emotional this stuff gets. And, uh, and most of the time enjoying that as well. No, that's really interesting. But obviously part of the reason I got you on here as well is um, I'm really super fascinated by your business. I'm sure everyone would have seen the recent news with uh, the work that you've been obviously been doing with Liverpool and the work that you've been doing with Rangers as well. And as fans and sort of people within football, we know that player availability is the foundation to success within football. So just sort of talk me through why you started Zone 7 and what was it about the sort of the problem that you saw and wanted to solve that that made you and EL uh, quit quit Salesforce and go and start this this <laughs> incredible business and get get uh, investors on board. Yeah, so um, for me, the journey really is from my from my lens and paradigm of a, of, of a person who worked in the data industry for for his entire career. So I spent a career as a data scientist, a data operator, creating data products in other industries. So I initially did that around the um, uh, intelligence. I was part of my part of my military background service in Israel was with the military intelligence. Um, so I created intelligence products that deal with a lot of data. And then I worked in Salesforce and uh, was one of the first AI product leaders in the company. Um, and so I, I got into this Zone 7 project really intrigued about the, the the data side of things and what we saw at the time which is is i think it's it's, it's still holds true is that you know that the data revolution solved a really big problem which is identifying talent and identifying talent that fits your team 
you know, the, the classic Moneyball story. And to do that well, you need a data about players and how they play and how they perform in a competitive environment. And you had that in baseball, and then you end up having that pretty much in any sport. Um, I would just call that game data. And then the other revolution that is now happening is, can we use data about the player well-being and performance between those games? So between, between the Saturdays or the Mondays, um, and use that to answer a very different question, which is not who's the right fit for my team, but it is how do we keep these people at their peak available for the longest periods? And people have been working on this for many, many years. It's not like uh, this is, uh, is unanswered, but we felt that the data aspect of things, the machine learning approach, the AI approach uh, can introduce, can bring something new into it. And that's what kind of got me into the into zone seven. Um, so we set up the company as, a, as an AI company, really, not really a sports company, to try and deploy our, our knowledge and skills and experience into a new area that, um, that we really cared about, which is keeping, keeping folks, keeping athletes available for longer. No, that's super interesting because previously on the podcast, I've spoken with people on the on the sports medicine side and sports scientists, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on now with from whether that's wearables to, to tracking sleep metrics and how long players are sleeping for, how long they should be sleeping for. So what's what's sort of unique and a little bit different about what you're doing and have you found any challenges in, in regards to sort of getting buy-in from football clubs? Because as we know, football clubs can can be a little bit archaic and a little bit slow to sort of innovation sometimes and sort of disruption <laughs> and, and, and are kind of used to doing things in a, in a particular way sometimes. Yeah, so so I'll say that just like any other industry, football has its own way of doing things and it's slowly changing. Um, but I would also say this, football clubs are always pitched the new shiny thing. And for them to do their jobs, people who look after the medicine side of the data, they have to have their radars set to maximum, or their bullshit radars set to max. Otherwise, they just all they do, all they would do is answer emails from people who want to sell something. So, that's the reality, and it's it's actually a really important mechanism allowing them to focus on what they need to focus on. Um, the if you look at if you look at the environment, then the way we look at the world is that there is a category of products out there that help create new data streams. You have game data coming in from cameras and you've got practice or training data coming in from the GPS devices. And you've got data about how strong your legs are when you jump on some special sensor. And you've got data about how strong your hamstrings are. And you've got data about how well you sleep and recover and data about the environment and your medical history. So each one of those data categories is its own its own specialty, its own expertise, right? You've got a physiology expert looking at hamstring data and you've got a sleep expert looking at sleep data. And that is the reality for a lot of football teams. And zone seven is, and then you, and then you have to store that information somewhere. So you have tools that specialize in kind of like storing the data, right? Like a file storage. Um, and it's the, it's the analysis of the data that is, that is, something that the, the staff deal with. So there's a concept called the MDT, the multidisciplinary team. It's a unique blend of skill sets, right? The medical skill set, the performance skill set, uh, the physiology skill set in the context of a specific coach and their schedule and their preferences. So the MDT is responsible for unpacking that data and creating insights. And, and that's the space that Zone 7 aspires to be in. 
it is a tool at the hands of the MDT that helps them um, see some patterns that may be invisible to the human eye. So it's kind of like, it's not autopilot to replace the pilot. It is absolutely the opposite. It's um, a special, unique X-ray vision that allows them to do their job, um, maybe a little bit easier on the data side. Um, has it been easy to put this out there in the market? It has not been easy, uh, like I said, because it's a very demanding environment and because everybody is always bombarded with new stuff. And so you have to differentiate yourself. You have to be, and our choice was to be very authentic to the science. Science leads the way. You know, when you look, when you read about the company, we aspire for that to be content that showcases our success with very good science behind it. So we've been very disciplined in how and what we communicate to the to the world. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And 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 sort of at which point did you sort of kind of feel that you had product sort of market fit? And are you sort of finding that the sort of state of football that we're seeing now with sort of tournament size expansion, whether that's the World Cup sort of being expanded to 48 teams, whether that's increased sort of fixtures due to sort of the Nations League potentially expanding or increasing sort of competitiveness of leagues like the Premier League and Serie A, both the season going right down to the wire. Are you sort of seeing see more interest from clubs and sort of leagues and federations to want to really buy into what you're doing? Yeah, I think I think the tide, as we say, the tide is rising and in a good way. Um, I think there are three main tra trends that we're seeing. Number one is the 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 process you're describing where there are commercial um pressure to have more games whether it's you know international games or league games or cup games that pressure is creating more demands physically than there were a while back and that means that you know there's more resources or more urgency to to deploy innovative technologies in these areas um the, the second trend is that just like every other industry that has went through a digitization and then a, uh, an analytics revolution and then you know AI for lack of a better term, this is also happening. It's just happening. It's not, it's not something that Zone 7 is responsible for, right? Uh, five years ago, the percentage of teams that were deploying deep algorithms for talent uh, scouting were smaller than it is today. And you know, in a couple of years, if you're not doing that, you, you, you know, you, you just won't have a, a chance. Um, so the proliferation of data and AI is happening, just like it happened in a lot of other industries. And the third trend, which I also very much like, is players are also becoming more aware of how important it is uh, in the long run. The North American uh, leagues we all work with are also very, very progressive on that because players are deeply wired into the decision-making process. But again, to say players are, the stakeholder, players are stakeholders who who want to look after their well-being uh, more proactively. Uh, so those three, those three trends together are kind of raising, rising, helping us, helping the tide rise, and for for the industry to be more receptive and more inquisitive and curious about ways to to deal with this um, phenomenon of uh, balancing workload with injury risk. And and sort of in terms of the game itself, like we're seeing rules come in to sort of manage player load, like the five sub rule. I've got loads of people I've had on. <laughs> And people have debated with, with their own sort of commentary on, on what they think of it from a sports medicine side and even from a sort of time wasting um, sort of angle. But where do you sort of sit on it from from a sort of um, sort of injury risk perspective and sort of 
measures sort of being brought in into play to, to sort of deal with this? Yeah. So my take is this, is that one of the things that I really love about our ability to work in football is that you've got games, but in between games, you've got a lot of time. So, you know, if you're playing once a week or twice a week, um, there are multiple days in between that players are active on and you can find, you can look at those days as ways of creating personalized uh, personalized uh, routines on workload and load management. So the term load management was born in the NBA where it was basically decisions not to play somebody, right? It was, I think it was 2012 or 13 and Popovich at the Spurs just sat down his biggest stars and said, they're not playing this game for whatever reason, right? It's a back-to-back or, or whatever the technical uh, rationale was behind that. But what we've aspired to do is it's not, for us, it's not, it's, it's usually not about that. What we try and do is if you're playing on a Saturday, you've got the Friday, the Thursday, and the Wednesday to prepare. And can we contribute some insights into that preparation phase to allow some personalization? So, you know, a player who might be at risk may have slightly more workload associated with them on a Wednesday or maybe a little bit less. Maybe it's more of one kind of workload like sprinting and less of a different kind of workload like decelerating. And that's what we aspire to do. And then when you get to the game, hopefully everybody's fit, but even in the game, yeah, sometimes you can load manage in a game as well. And um, more, you know, it's, it's, it's identifying subs who would be, at least from a risk perspective, good candidates. So ultimately, it's about the coach and the tactical needs, uh, but also, you know, how much time, right? Some, some, some players at some point could be better off playing 30 minutes or 45 or 60 or 70. So that's also something that can be um, aided by by um the analytical side of things right um so yeah so think about zone seven as a tool that helps um with the preparation or the the training phase but also if needed also in the in the game itself um again always subjective sorry always subjugated to the tactical needs at the time i guess one thing i wanted to also ask you as well is obviously but whenever you're sort of bringing in sort of data and and sort of technology on the sort of sports performance and sort of um, sort of sports medicine side. Um, a lot of the time, some of the pushback that you can get, having spoke to people on the sports medicine and sports science side, is is effectively that sort of player player empowerment point. So obviously, there's an aspect of a player knows their own body, and obviously the data might be saying something a little bit different. And on the flip side of that, you also have how much of that actually informs the coach's decision? Because as we know in football, it's a very cutthroat industry and managers, they like to say, is only about five games away from the sack. So, so how do you almost kind of empower and or try and break the sort of the myth and sort of demystify these these sort of issues within 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 sports science? Yeah, I think, you know, so so first off, I'm, I've got an outsider perspective. I'm not a sports scientist, but but but, but I did over the years as partner with a good a good group of teams and sports science staff so so i can share some of my insights i mean like i said first off a, a sports scientist is a is a scientist and they, they they are skeptical by nature and that's exactly how they are trained and that's to be honest that's how they should be if they would have put in, put their faith into whatever's out there with no validation then they probably would not be doing very well so so the reality is we are operating in a science 
heavy, heavy science mentality as, as we should. And so the burden is on us as a company to demonstrate that this is real science and not bro science, to use the, uh, the American term. Um, so what we aspire to do is to allow, okay, let me just zoom out for a sec. But, and then we also understand that every football environment is different, right? Players are different, the pitch is different, the coaching staff is different, their cycle on how they like to prepare players is different. So what we've a spot what we aspire to do is to allow every client a chance to validate whether this works or not in their environment. It's not just about, hey, read this case study from a team somewhere else and hopefully you like it. Um, we allow them to te stress test this platform on their data, on their environment. And that has two sides to it. One side is to kind of retrospectively analyze the information from last year, last year or last few years. And that helps you kind of say, hey, here's a statistical number that says our flags, our risk alerts are accurate or, or not, right? This is, this is the percentage of uh, correct flags and this is the percentage of incorrect flags. And, and then there's a really interesting discussion on is this accurate enough, right? Um, that's one part. The other part is, would this work in this environment with this coach, with this staff, with this doctor, with this physio? And so we usually allow teams also a chance to have it go live during a couple of cycles of games, preparing for games, dealing with, uh, with the realities of a, of a day-to-day football environment. And then they, they, they have a sense of, okay, this, we, we could use it, or maybe we can't, right? Um, and, and so the burden is, is on us to help demonstrate, you know, the strong science behind the product. There's no, there's no, you know, there are no gifts here. You have to, you have to work hard and you have to prove and you have to be uh, confident enough to, 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 to take questions and to take uh, cr cr criticisms. And some of our best product improvements have come through that, that process where clubs were like, okay, you know, here's where we think this is not good enough. And, you know, if we can get good feedback on that, we could we can improve and then we have. So so that's the way we look at it. It's basically it's not enough to say this is good science. You have to demonstrate it and more importantly, you have to demonstrate it in the environment you're about to deploy. No, that's 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 super useful because I think one thing that's really stood out having sort of looked at the data and sort of read a bit about the work that you guys have been doing is is sort of stuff that you've done with Liverpool in terms of being able to sort of reduce substantial injuries by almost by almost half. And um, as we sort of know, as I sort of mentioned at the start within within sort of football, that process of obviously player player availability and, and especially elite player availability for the best players, having the best players fit, robust, and healthy is the is the foundation for success. But what I wanted to also ask you as well, Tab, is what are the sort of lessons that yourself and EL took from Salesforce in terms of building this company? Because as we all know, running running a, an emerging company and a startup isn't isn't always isn't always easy. But but what are the sort of the core learnings that you took took from working in a in a sort of big business? That's a that's a great question. Um, uh, some of the things we took with us. Okay, let me talk, let me talk about myself. Um, my job at Salesforce was as a product manager, I was responsible for the product itself um, and how you kind of build it, how you track its success and how you kind of sell it in a, in a way. I wasn't, I wasn't a sales person, but I, I was responsible on packaging the product as well. And one of the things that I took with me is that in a product that is an AI product or a product that creates new information every day, 
right? We're not counting steps or counting sprints or you know storing uh, medical history. We are creating new information every single day. The only thing that matters to clients is how consistent your accuracy is, right? If you're visualizing information that you created this morning and it's you know wrong or to a certain degree not as right as you'd like it to be, then the audience, whether it's a sports scientist or somebody else, they have a very limited patience for that. So think about you using uh, like an AI tool for the first time, let's say Waze, and you're, you know, you're punching in your, I mean, you're, you probably live in London, so you don't need to drive, but you know, you, you, let's say you're driving somewhere and you punch in the, uh, the address. And let's say the first time ever, it takes you through some wrong route or somewhere with traffic, right? You know, you have a very short fuse for that. You, you know, if that happens twice in a row, then you're gonna just delete it and use some other app. Um, and the importance of getting it right early and then getting it right consistently is just huge. So at the core of what we do is the integrity of the data and the insights. Uh, it's more important than anything and how, how fast the app loads and how pretty the buttons are. And, you know, if your servers are 99% there, that's really, really important. That's one thing we took with us um, that I think is valuable. Um, I can say from my perspective, I didn't fully understand the nuances of a sports science environment when we first started the journey a couple of years ago. Um, you know, for example, getting the language right, right? It's not, it's not predicting injuries, it's forecasting risk. It's a technical term that's actually important to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, for me personally, it was a, a really interesting journey to understand the, the sports science community and, and make sure that we are setting ourselves up for success uh, with, with, the, with, with, you know, with, the, with the things around the technology, not just the, the model itself and the mathematics around it. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and sort of in regards to sort of scaling and hiring, obviously, I think last year you closed your Series A around uh, $8 million. What's the sort of plans in terms of growing the team and how have you sort of approached hiring and, and sort of the, the, the challenges for obviously growing a business and, and, and winning more sort of football clubs and, and sort of sports teams across the world? Yeah, so so thanks for noticing that news. It's It's been an exciting year for us. Um, for us, it's really about can can we do this consistently across the entire sports industry and and maybe even beyond uh, but then again you have to be very very focused on what you do you can't copy paste a football app and put it in front of cricket coaches or baseball coaches or american football coaches otherwise you're going to get laughed out of the room so what we do is we have a process where market by market or sport by sport we basically you know incubate quietly make sure we get it right and then we scale up and you know football was a first for us there's rugby there's american football that we've we've announced a few clients there uh basketball as well so so for us it's about doing this well for the entire sports market but also in a responsible and timely way uh i would say you asked about hiring hiring is a great example because the startup is an interesting journey that requires different skill sets than working in a big company i mean it's 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 more volatile it's more uh, ups and downs you know uh and so one of the first things that we did after fundraising a series a was to set up our football team in the uk you know folks who understand the environment who have spent a career you know a decade or two decades working in the premier league and understanding that and so we've been able to hire some 
phenomenal people in that in, in that market, both on the performance medical side as well as the commercial side. And and we've also done some really interesting partnerships to to help us connect with the market in, in deep ways. Uh, we've partnered with the Association of Sporting Directors and with Leaders Institute. Um, and and you know we've been kind of growing uh, the awareness of the Zone Seven brand, but you know in a very specific way that is attuned to who our audience is and the message we're trying to convey. Yeah, because I think one of the interesting things about scale is how, how do you sort of scale the football side of it? Because I'm guessing that if you're working with one particular club, they might not want you working with their one of their rivals because they see the value in the technology and the, and the offering. So how do you sort of manage that process? Our model is closer to what a software startup would have, which means we focus on the software and we aspire to help the customer go through a journey from what is this, help me understand what it does, to being, let's say, pretty independent with a product, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a spreadsheet that you never call Microsoft and ask for help. We are there for help. But the idea is for the client to be, you know, on most days, fully, fully autonomous with the product. Um, what we don't do is we don't basically say, hey, you know, once you use this little tool, but we'll be talking to you every day on the phone and running some custom reports for you. We, 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 we very rarely do that. Um, so a lot of effort is being put into the, the technology itself, um, making the data really, un uh, make, making the insights understood, making sure that everything is flowing automatically. Um, we do have a team that we call the performance team. Uh, and that team is responsible for making sure our clients are successful with the software. So it's onboarding, it's doing workshops, it's helping bridge this initial gap between AI and a football environment. Um, and then it's it's ongoing stuff, right? Sometimes a client will look at the app and they will see stuff that may seem counterintuitive, right? Why is this player being flagged? I thought he was fine. I thought we did everything perfect. Uh, we gave him the day off yesterday, whatever the thing is. And we are there for our clients because we realize that Let's say it's it's nine o'clock, you're looking at the app, something is flagging red, and you're speaking to the coach at 9.30 and you need to walk into that meeting fully armed. And so that's what our performance team really does. It's it's that kind of success enablement for the clients. Uh, but ultimately it's 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 around can we do this for ten? Yeah, and then fifty and then a hundred and then a thousand sports teams on the planet and just keep going. So that's that's the way we look at the scale problem but the biggest thing the biggest mistakes we could do is we, biggest mistake we could do is to to do that too fast so you know my job as a ceo is just to make sure that that the pace is right and that we're getting everything right and not to not to over over promise yeah no that's that's super useful tao and uh we love to end the show with the what the footy question which is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space that's a great question i think for me it's you know, there's there's uh, stars out. You know, there's the players out there. There's the clubs and there's the governing bodies. And I would love for all those three stars to align, especially on this topic of uh, player well player well being and and longevity and all that. I think if ever there was a a good uh, goal to unify these on a project, it's it's this. So that's what I kind of like hope for. No, 100%. We had Alex Colvin on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and she said a similar sort of thing, that whole collectiveness and players and stakeholders all coming together. And I think it, it could definitely be so powerful. Uh, but Tal Brown, CEO at Zone 7, thank you for coming on the What The Footy podcast.
Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everybody, for having me. I look forward to speak soon. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew Sam Allardyce liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a foot in Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fans.